today's scripture reading is from Acts 15, 36, 16, 10. In addition to your own Bible, you may find it on the back side of your message notes or beginning on page 791 in your worship Bible. Please follow along as I read. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement, so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul also came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on they were, they, their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So, pass so passing by Mysia, they went on to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. May God bless the reading of his word. Well, if you're with us every week, you know that we're making our way in a tour through the book of Acts, which is the longest book in the New Testament. So it's taking us a while to do that. The book of Acts tells us the story of how within about two decades, a small group of only 120 followers of Jesus who were a witness to the resurrection became a movement which spread all the way to the halls of the power of, of that day, the power of Rome. We saw in last week's study from the 15th chapter how the early Jewish believers made a radical and difficult decision to open the doors of the church to Gentile believers. As Jesus had predicted, the wine of the gospel had burst outside of its Jewish boundaries, and these Jewish believers were willing to let go of long-standing traditions so that it would not be difficult for Gentiles, people like you and like me, to respond to Jesus. Now, in this study, this section of Scripture that we will study next week, we will encounter a well-known story of how the church was planted in a place called Philippi. There it was that a businesswoman was converted, a jailer's household was, uh, uh, excuse me, a slave girl was set free, an earthquake opened a prison, and a jailer's household was baptized. It's a really good story. I hope you can come back next week to hear that. But in between the watershed events of Acts 15 and the Philippian conversions of Acts 16, we have some odd little stories in the middle. 
Beverly just read them for you. And if you are a careful listener, you may very well have had some questions about what she read as you heard it. I certainly did as I studied this passage especially. Here are a few questions that occurred to me as I looked at this passage in preparation for today's talk. First of all, the church leaders had made a a momentous decision that circumcision would not be necessary in order to become a full-fledged follower of Jesus, a full-fledged Christian. They had met over that issue, and they had said it will not be necessary for Gentiles to become Jews in order to become Christians. They opened up the doors and put aside that long-standing tradition. That was the, de- the decision which was made in Acts 15, which allowed all of us to come in uh, freely. That, that was, had just been made. The Apostle Paul, in particular, had fought dearly for this to become the official policy of the church And thank goodness it was done so the church could spread like it was. He had fought dearly for it. But now we see in this text that Paul brings Timothy as an associate, and before he takes him on his journey, he says, Timothy, by the way, um, I know your dad was Greek, so you weren't circumcised. I'd like you to go with me. Uh, We have a little procedure to do before we go. The same guy, yeah, Timothy is not an eight-day-old child, you know. He's a young man. The same guy, Paul, who had fought to make sure this did not need to be official policy, now is saying to someone going with him, by the way, this is what we're going to do. That's the question. Why? Why the compromise? Is Paul being hypocritical? Is he letting go of his convictions? Why? Why? That's one question. A second question that occurred to my mind. Speaking of the associates that Paul brought with him, the reason, uh, he, wh- what about this conflict that opens this section, the conflict between Barnabas and Saul? They have a sharp disagreement, an open dispute with each other over whether or not to bring Mark as their travel companion. Barnabas wanted to. Paul did not want to, and they, they had a heated discussion. It says sharp disagreement. The word is a paroxysmus, which is like a, a paroxysm, an open dispute about, the kind of thing you feel kind of embarrassed to have had with another person. They had a sharp dispute. Why is this story in there? And was it right for those two to split up, Paul and Barnabas? It was so heated that the two of them split up. Barnabas uh, took Mark with him. They went one way. Paul took Silas with him. Later, he put, took Timothy as well as his replacement for Mark, I would say. Um, and, and they went their other way. Was this part of God's plan? And if it wasn't, how does God work when we screw things up like this, you know? That's why, why did God apparently bless their ministry afterwards when they just had been in a terrible row over the whole issue? And then a third question, that's two. The second one is, why do Paul and his new associates, did you catch it in the, during the middle of all those fancy uh, place names? He did a nice job of reading them, Beverly, those strange place names, unfamiliar to us. Why do Paul and his new associates have such a hard time figuring out where the Holy Spirit is leading them? First, they want to go one way, and the Lord closes that door. Then they go another way. The Spirit says, no, not here. Then they're figuring out where to go, they, and they get a vision. Why does it take so long for them to figure out where they're going? They, you know, first they try Asia, but the Spirit says no. Then they try Bithynia, but the Spirit says no again. Then they go to Troas, when finally, through a vision, they discern that God is leading them to Macedonia. Why all the misdirection? Were they dense, or was the Holy Spirit playing games with them? What's going on? 
these things surprised me as I looked at this passage. And, you know, as is typical, I thought, well, let's go on to Philippi. But there's got to be something in here that God wants us to learn. And I think there are. And I hope I'm excited about sharing with them. You know, so the three things that surprised me in this passage, we're going to take a look at them. One was Paul's conflict with Barnabas. And then secondly, Paul's circumcision of Timothy. And Paul's confusion about direction. All those kind of surprised me. But the more I thought about it, the more I rather liked these three things. Because if I'm really honest, I can identify with each of these problems. Can't you? Do you ever feel like you don't know which way to go? And the Lord's giving, playing games with you while you pray? Yes, I'm sure you do. Do you ever make bad mistakes and wonder whether God can ever make good out of the bad choices you've made like Paul and Barnabas did? Yeah, me too, you know. Do you have strong convictions, but do you have a hard time knowing how to draw the line and where to allow some grace and some, you know, flexibility, you know? Um, you don't want to go circumcising everybody you see, right? <laughs> that was a joke. Um, the Apostle Paul had strong convictions, but he was willing to bend. What's going on there? And the, so I think these are some valuable things, and so I want to just take a minute to kind of think through these and trust that the Lord will give to us some wisdom through these issues because I think we all struggle somewhat with conflict. We all struggle sometimes with confusion. We all struggle sometimes with our convictions. So let's take a look at these, okay? First of all, Paul's conflict with Barnabas. Uh, 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 Beverly read it for you, and we see that they've just coming back from this momentous decision. They've gone back to Antioch, and um, Paul and Barnabas say, let's go back and take a look at the churches we've planted, and let's encourage them as well. And it says, verse 37, now Barnabas wanted to take John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose such a sharp disagreement so that they separated it from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. Yes, they had a fight. They really had a fight. The word, as I said, is paroxysmos. It's the word from which we get the word paroxysm, which I looked it up. It says uh, the word paroxysm, paroxysm means a sudden attack or violent expression of a particular emotion or activity, like a paroxysm of weeping, uncontrollable, sudden weeping. That's from the dictionary. These guys are having, their, their noses are red. Their ears are fuming. They're upset. They're fighting with each other. I just want to stress this. These respected Christian leaders are having it out. I'm not going to take that guy. We can't trust him. He left us before it even got difficult. What if he had been there when we got stoned? What if he'd been there? We, we can't count. We can't trust him. He's just a kid. He's going to screw up. He's our third string quarterback. We can't take him. Inside joke. Um, Barnabas says, no, he needs another chance. I see potential in the guy. Chances are when they had been to Jerusalem just recently, Barnabas had gone to see Mark. They'd probably had a little bit of man-to-man, heart-to-heart, uncle-to-nephew, cousin-to-cousin ch chat because they were related to one another. They were cousins. And Barnabas saw repentance in Mark. He saw something worth saving. He knew that it was important to bring Mark with him. Chances are in this agreement, this disagreement, the one who was wrong was Paul. <laughs> and it's ironic 
because Barnabas was the very one who had accepted Paul when no one would accept him. He was the very one who stood up for Paul when no one would stand up for him. And now Paul is not standing up for Mark and not trusting Barnabas, this guy who had the nickname Encourager. That was his, his real name was Joseph. Barnabas meant the son of encouragement, be the expression of encouragement. Yes, these are heightened emotions, red and distorted faces, loud voices, things that were said which were better left unsaid. And they both were partly right, like most agreements, disagreements, and they both were partly wrong. On Paul's part, Mark had quit before things even got tough. How could he be trusted? On Barnabas' side, Mark deserved another chance. He saw his potential. He was worth saving. And if you know the end of the story, you know that when you read the Gospels, one of them is called the Gospel of Mark, and that Gospel was written by this guy, the guy that Paul was ready to throw away. Aren't you glad that Barnabas took him with him? Yeah. Yeah. So Paul was kind of in the wrong, it seems like to me, you know. Um, and so they had this fight about it. And it seems fascinating to me that Luke includes this very unseemly fight between two very important characters. Why does he do this? I just love this fact about the Bible. The Bible tells the truth. It's honest. If you're making up stories about a hero, and in many ways, many people think that the, the book of Acts was written in part as a defense for the apostle Paul who was in prison in Rome. He's telling them about why Paul is, you know, a good guy. If you're trying to write a, a hero story, you don't include their weaknesses. And yet, here it is just right out there. And it's true throughout the Bible. We find weaknesses in every kind of person. I love the honesty of the New Testament and the Old Testament writers. They don't sugarcoat the truth. They tell it like it is, even when the picture is not pretty. That gives me confidence at what the Scriptures say because it tells the truth, even when it's not nice to hear it. Luke didn't have to tell us about this. He certainly had a reason for letting us know that Paul was not a perfect person. Well, what can we learn from this little story? I think there's three things we can learn from this little part of the story. The first is this. Despite our weaknesses, grace is at work. Despite our weaknesses, grace is at work. The apostle Paul was a weak vessel, a flawed vessel, a cracked pot, he called himself one time, a leaky faucet, we would say. He said that about himself. Do you ever feel kind of like a leaky faucet? Like you just can't hold it all in? Like it just, you have had the best of intentions and the Holy Spirit comes in your life and he just leaks out this side before you, you know? We often feel that way and we can be discouraged. I think Luke wants us to realize that even the best of us have faults and that God is still able to work even through our weaknesses. Even the best of us need grace. The story of God's work among us and through us is always a story of grace. Aren't you grateful? Yeah, I hope you are. There's this great story of grace. So don't take yourself so seriously and don't beat yourself up so bad, <laughs> right? We both, you notice when you make both those mistakes? We take ourselves way too seriously, and then we beat ourselves up way too much. Grace comes to weak people. The Apostle Paul had weaknesses. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said about himself in a letter to the city at Corinth. He says, but he, that is the Lord, said to me, 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. 
If you feel weak, you're in good company. So is the Apostle Paul. And grace can work in the midst of your weaknesses. That's good to know. Even though there were some bad choices made in that fight between Barnabas and Saul, or Barnabas and Paul, God's grace was at work in the midst of that. And a related point, secondly, under this first point is this. Despite our bad decisions, God can bring good. Despite our bad decisions, God can bring good. Even our bad decisions can turn out for good. What had happened good out of this? First of all, there were two missionary journeys instead of just one. They went two separate ways. More people got involved in ministry. Mark wrote a gospel. And by the way, Paul did reunite and, and reconnect. Uh, there was reconciliation between Paul and Mark. I really can't find too much evidence of reconciliation between Paul and Barnabas. I don't know what happened with them, you know. But with Mark, we know there was reconciliation. I'm sure it's very possible they did rec reconcile. We just don't know about it between Paul and Barnabas. We have no evidence of, of it. After this reference to Barnabas, we don't know too much more about him other than oblique references here or there. And the other thing is that the apostle Paul took with him Silas uh, as his new traveling companion. And Silas, like the apostle Paul, was a Roman citizen. And that became very important because even when they went into Philippi, their very next place that they went, next week we'll talk about it, what happened to them? They got thrown into jail, and they got beaten. And Paul was able to say, after it all happened, how is it that you beat us? We are Roman citizens. So God had a way of bringing something good even out of the bad choices. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a little crazy-making for me. You know what I'm saying? Like, did God want them to fight? I don't know the mysteries of how God works, but all of us have seen things that have happened in our lives, choices we made, choices others made, bad decisions that God made, but somehow God was able to bring good out of it. Are you, are you glad for that? You're not? Oh, good. I'm glad you are. <laughs> or else I better stay on this point a little bit longer, you know. God has a way of bringing good out of even the worst decisions. We see it in, the, in, in, in this situation with regard to Mark. We see it in the story of Joseph in the Bible where he said to his brothers, you meant it for bad, but God meant it for good. And then we see it especially in the story of Good Friday, don't we? When people made bad decisions, but God brought good out of it. Maybe you've made a bad decision and you feel like you're stuck and there's no more future for you. Today is the day you can make a new and good decision. God is not limited by your bad decisions. He specializes in taking what is broken and making it whole. And so that brings us then to our third under this first point, and that is this. Despite our failures, God never gives up on us. God never gives up on us. No one is ever a lost cause. Mark was not a lost cause. Paul was not a lost cause. You are not a lost cause. So I like this story of Paul's conflict with Barnabas. It humanizes Paul for me. It lets me see that though he was a great man, he was not a perfect man. He made some mistakes, and Luke let us know about that. In fact, the apostle Paul called himself one time the chief of sinners. Yeah. So please, don't give up on yourself. God does not, will not, has not given up on you. That's a good lesson out of that first section, right? Let's move to the second one. The second is Paul's circumcision of Timothy. It's a little more difficult to see, but I think it's quite important for us to see. 
Starting with the 16th chapter, Paul came to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He is well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. We've already talked about this a little bit. It's beautiful to see the way that Paul is traveling. He sees this young man named Timothy. His mother and grandmother are both Jews. He refers to them later as being godly women who taught Timothy the Scripture. So his Jewish progeny was undisputed. In fact, they often counted progeny through women because, well, the, your mother was never disputable, but your father sometimes was. So, uh, the, so they knew he was Jewish, but his father was a Greek, and so he had been raised... Um, as a Greek father would have wanted him to have been raised, he's a follower of Jesus now. The apostle Paul wants to bring him. And this is just uh, uh, fascinating to me that the apostle Paul, who was so insistent that circumcision not be required, now then says to Timothy, oh, by the way, I'd like you to go with me, and I think this will help us better accomplish our mission. And Timothy says, yes. We're surprised. Why? Well, because what did Paul normally do? When he went into a new city, where did he usually go? He usually went to the Jewish synagogue. He would go to the Jewish synagogue, and he needed to be accepted. He took the gospel first to Jews. And it was important to him that he not raise any unnecessary barriers to the gospel so that they could freely speak to the gospel to the Jews, even though their primary mission was to the Gentiles. So the apostle Paul had this curious mix of truth and grace. And so we learn in this that truth must always, first of all, be mixed with grace. Even though Paul would argue for the principle that circumcision was necessary, there were times when it was important for him to have it practiced, you see. Even though the Apostle Paul would argue for the principle that all foods were available, there, was, there were times when he would give up not his principle, but change his practice so that he would not eat meat in a way that would cause other people to stumble. What's the lesson in this for us? Sometimes we devout followers of Jesus can be so uh, caught up in what is the truth that we forget that Jesus got, brought grace and truth. You see, John 1, Jesus brought grace and truth. We will, he, he, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 12, we endure anything rather than put an obstacle in the way of the gospel of Christ. And in a few verses later, in verse 19 and following, he said, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I may win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I may win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, so that by all possible means I might save some. I do all this for the sake of the gospel. You see, we learn that truth must be mixed with grace and then we learn, secondly, that compromise is not always a bad thing. Sometimes we need to remember that we need to provide room for where people need to grow. 
We need, to provide, we need to recognize also, and related to this, that we don't always know all the facts about every situation all the time. We don't know where people have come from. We don't always know their hearts. We can't just judge by the externals. That was one of the problems with circumcision in the first place. It became simply an act that automatically made you on the inside, and so people didn't have to actually know you, what your true heart was. Jesus could look at circumcised people and say, your father, the devil. We are Abraham's seed, he said. You see, God looks at the outward appearance. Uh, excuse me, man looks at the outward appearance, First Samuel tells us, but God looks at the heart. Yes, we are committed to the truth, but we must always have truth mixed with grace. And some of us who are theological experts need to remember that. You can beat people over the head in a very ungraceful way about the truth. You don't have to choose truth or grace. In Jesus, both were blended. In followers of Jesus, both should be blended. Some people are so interested in grace that they leave out the truth. Some people are so interested in truth that they leave out grace. Jesus brings them both together, and the Apostle Paul seems to have practiced that in this situation. Yes, Paul's circumcision of Timothy reminds us that truth must be mixed with grace and that compromise is not always a bad thing. God give us wisdom to know how to blend those in our lives. You know, we have convictions about things. It's always, not always hard to know. It's not always easy to know how to treat people who have different convictions than us. But we should always treat them gracefully. Jesus gets, uh, the, Peter said we should an, give an answer with respect, with respect. Okay, enough of that. The third thing that we see here is Paul's confusion about direction. Paul's confusion about direction. It's a crazy story. I've always loved this. You know, they're trying to figure out where to go. They have just recruited, you know, Silas is with him the first time. He's recruited Timothy, and w one thing we pick up in here is that Luke, who wrote this book, is now in the story. And so there they are. They're beginning to follow, and they don't know where to go. Paul doesn't know where to go. They want to go back to where they had been. But it says there that the Spirit told them not to go to Asia. That was where they intended to go. And when they had come out to Mysia, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And a man of Macedonia was standing there saying, come to Macedonia and help us. What is this telling us? This is telling us the Holy Spirit was calling them into Europe. They hadn't been to Europe. They were in what would be now modern-day Turkey, Asia, that area. Don't think of China. Think of Turkey, that area. That's where they had been. That's where the churches were first planted to the west. And now they've been called over to Macedonia, which was a part of Greece, which brought them into, for the first time, Europe. This was one reason why bringing Silas was such a blessing, because he would have had uh, access to that country uh, very, uh, very easily. Okay, so uh, the Holy Spirit had spoken to them in a vision, and so they went to Macedonia, and when they came in there, they went to Philippi. We'll take a look at that next week. Well, what does this sort of reveal to us? First of all, Following God's will is not always clear. <laughs> you knew that already, didn't you? But aren't you glad to know the Apostle Paul felt that way? How'd you like to be Luke, who just joined them, or Mark, or, excuse me, or Silas, and Paul says, I'm not sure where to go yet, guys. I'm not sure. Everywhere I try to go, it seems like I'm getting blocked. I love this because I often feel this way. 
Sometimes it's not easy to know where to take the next step. And if you're in that spot, here you are at the beginning of a new year, what's going to be on the horizon for me? You may be praying and seeking God. Don't blame yourself if you don't always figure it out easily. Sometimes it takes time, you know. Sometimes it takes time. I remember early decisions I had to make in terms of ministry when I was young and just married and trying to figure out where I was going. And, and I spent the day away in prayer, and I was so frustrated because I was involved in one ministry and thinking maybe God was calling me to go and complete my education. I loved what I was doing, but I knew someday I had to go on to do more. I had made a two-year commitment to where I was, and, uh, but I kind of wanted to stay where I was before I went to school. I just didn't know. And I remember praying and, 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 and feeling that the Lord was saying to me, you know, Steve, when you were younger, I held you by the hand and told you every step to go. You're older. Now I'm going to be right next to you. And whichever step you take, I'll be there with you. I want you to grow up a little bit. And it reminded me of when I was six or seven years old and fishing. I told someone this story a while ago. Fishing on the side of a dock uh, in Lake Havasu City where I lived, and throwing my line out there and picking up a huge fish on the side. I could tell. It was heavy. And me saying, Dad, well, I said Daddy back then. Daddy, Daddy, take it. I wanted my dad to take the pole away from me because I did not want to lose that fish. You see? I'm really, and it's, I was sure the fish was going to get away, but you know what that mean old man did to me? <laughs> you can do it. no. Try yourself. He took the risk I would lose the fish because he wanted me to learn how to take care of it. He allowed me to grow in the midst. But I have to tell you, when I was reeling that fish, I was crying and I was mad. I was angry until that fish came up. And I was the one who had caught it. See? Well, there's a balance there. And God knows the right balance for you and for me. And sometimes we have anxious moments. What do you do when it's tough and you can't figure out the next way? What you do, hopefully, is you go deeper into prayer, deeper into seeking God, deeper into asking Him patiently, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How do you want to lead me? Help me, Lord. Show me the way. You say Psalm 32, you know, I will lead you. You, you quote these verses back to God. And in time, number two, under the third point, God can be trusted to guide us in the right way. God can be trusted. Do you believe that God can be trusted? Don't shake your head too fast. Because if you're really honest in your heart of hearts, you probably would say, like I have to say, I'm not always sure I really believe that. I know it's true, but I'm afraid I can't. But the God who gave his son, Jesus Christ, for you and for me can be trusted. And remember, even his own son was on a, on, on, in a garden by Gethsemane praying, Lord, please don't make me do this. And the heavenly Father said to him, my son, this is the way to go. And Jesus, says, Jesus said to his father, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus chose to trust his Father even when he didn't like it. And he walked to that cross 
So even though I often feel like God is silent and letting me down, I know it's never true. Because the God who gave his son up for us all, will he not freely give us all things? Romans 8 says, yeah. Yes, it can be tough to be at a confusion spot. And we can cry, we can pray, and we seek God, and we refuse to let go, and we ask God to help us. God can be trusted. What we see here is a mix of things that don't always blend together well. Because even our bad choices can turn out good, right, in the first section, you know? It's hard to put this all together. But if we seek God, He will lead us, and He will guide us, and we will ultimately know where to go. Well, we could have skipped this little section of Scripture, but I hope you're glad like I am that we took a look at it. Because we all have conflict, and we know how to work with it and see God work, us, work through it. We all have convictions, and we need to learn how to blend those with grace, even though we make mistakes sometimes. And we all need direction, and we're confused. But God is faithful. He will guide us in the right way. Let's have prayer as we close. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful that you were willing to follow the Father even to a cross. When we pray and seek direction, we can be frustrated. Help us to know that we can count on you. You will guide us. And when we have convictions, we don't know how to apply them to our lives or to life situations. Teach us how to apply them with grace, how to have deep conviction, but to be people of grace. And when we run into conflict and find ourselves looking back on the wreckage of some bad decisions, help us to remember that you never give up on us, that you bring good even out of the worst of situations. Help us to pick ourselves up and to ask you, what do you have next for me, Lord? And help us to choose to be faithful in this moment, even if we've been unfaithful in the past. Thank you for these little stories, these humanizing stories about Paul and Barnabas and Timothy and Silas. They were people just like us. They made mistakes, but you used them. Help us to know that you will use us. And help us like Jesus in prayer to say, not my will, but thine be done. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.